We're in Genesis chapter 42 this morning. We are going to look at the back side or the, I think it's line 21 on down from there. And kind of where we're going is God's refining fire creates us in his image through his mercy and grace. When God refines us, it looks uh, different than what maybe our refining tools would be. Sometimes he uses outside circumstances to work on us. Sometimes he uses uses the circumstances we've put ourselves in to work on us. And this week, we see some outside circumstances working on Joseph's brothers, right? We have a famine that has come into the land. They can't find food, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they have this major need of food, and their dad says, what are you standing around here for? Go down to Egypt, and they're like, we're standing around here because we don't want to go down to Egypt, right? Because their brother, Joseph, was sent down there. And they all knew in the back of their mind that that's where Joseph could be. And with all the destruction and the lack of self-discipline in their lives, their sins were catching up to them. They were starting to see everything, all the dominoes starting to fall, and they could not control what the Lord had in their life due to this major catastrophic event of a famine in all the known land, right? And nobody could avoid this, especially them, and God is sending them to Egypt to be their protector. They just don't know that yet because they got to go through the hard times. they got to go through the harshness of their brother to understand these things. And so when we look at this passage of redemption, we see the brothers in the role of sinners, just like us. We talked about this a little bit last week. Additionally, we see the Redeemer in the role of Joseph. So anytime you see Joseph come up in the story, you should think of Jesus. And every time you think of the brothers, you should think of yourself or your pastor, I suppppose you could look at me that way. but I, I find I can fit in that role maybe a little bit too easy as the brothers did. So Joseph, he does a good job of pointing to the true Redeemer in Christ Jesus. He never takes credit for his work. He always gives credit to the Lord, and he works through that. When the brothers get to Egypt, they find themselves in front of their brother, Joseph. However, they don't recognize him, as you recall. And on the other hand, Joseph does recognize them. He sees them coming from a little ways off, And he decides to deal with them harshly. He decides, I'm going to put the screws to them and see where they stand. And this allows them to draw a conclusion that the brothers, the brothers to draw a conclusion that we find in verse 21. So let's get into it. Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 through 26. It says, speaking Among themselves, the brothers said, Clearly, we are being punished for what we did to Joseph long ago. We see his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we didn't listen. That is why we are in trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against that boy, Reuben said, but you wouldn't listen. Now we have an answer for his blood. Of course, we don't. Now we're going to have to answer for his blood. Of course, They didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now 
He turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. And then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. I always wonder if Simeon was one of the ringleaders in saying we should sell Joseph. Joseph then orders his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with grain and headed for home. When we talk about different ministries around here and what we should do, we have a philosophy that we go from a, like a big event down to a smaller event. A bigger event around here would be the treat tunnel, right? Uh, we have a lot of the community come in here. The VBS is another tier down, a little bit narrower, but we still hit a lot of people. And as we go down, we get into, we get eventually get to Bible study. And that's where we get more intimate with the Lord. And I will say, well, what do you think about this idea? And Craig often responds to me, well, throw it in the funnel. We'll see where it lands. We'll know when we get done with it, uh, whether it's going. We talk about the food pantry and things. Well, let's throw it in the funnel and see what, what happens. What about moving across the street? Let's throw it in the funnel, right? And, and each time, if it is with the Lord, it seems that we are like-minded and moving forward together. And when we do that, um, it comes out with the Lord's blessing out of the bottom. So in this instance, they throw the rock in the chute, right? I, I was trying to find what is unrefined metal. And uh, at first I was like, well, that's dross. No, that's what you scrape off after uh, you've done refining process. Well, it's rock. It's just rock. You throw rock in the chute, and then it, you refine it down to the minerals, right? So here is the unrefined material before the refiner's refining process we have even taken place. God throws it in, them into the grinder, and Joseph comes on them harshly, which from a human standpoint, point, we can understand that. Well, of course he's coming on them harshly because if of what they've done to him in the past. And that's not the case why he's coming on them harshly at all. He's already forgiven them in his heart, and he has worked through that, and he's come down on them harshly because he wants to see where they are at. Right? We see Reuben immediately jump up and say, well, you know, I told you. I told you so. So immediately Reuben goes to self-righteousness. Uh, if you want to listen to me, and I'll be God now. If you would have listened to me, we wouldn't have been in this place. Well, yes, they would have. They would have just been in it differently because they still had many other sins to work through. And we also know that Reuben is always trying to get back on his dad's good graces after chapter 35 when he slept with one of his concubines. So Reuben is always trying to prove himself to the group. He is always trying to say that he's the one that should have the authority and and rightfully so, he should have been the one that had the authority, but when he slept with his dad's concubine, he lost that authority. He no longer gets it. Simeon loses it somehow, I can't remember. Levi 
they change and become the Levites, and so they lose it, and it falls all the way down to Judah, which is what God said it was going to happen in the first place. And even when Jacob tries to make Joseph the next heir for the, the thing, God doesn't have anything of it. And we see Judah's story start to come back into this story again, which I thought was interesting. So God throws them into the grinder, and, and Joseph, he comes at them harshly. Why does he do this? Because he's turning on the pressure, he's turning up the heat, in a sense, to start that refining process. He calls them liars, first of all. So I look at that, a.k.a. he is questioning their integrity. How are they going to stand on the truth? Are they willing to go to it right away? Are they going to try to make up a different story? He throws them in jail, and that turns up the heat, right? He finds out about their character really quickly because he's been in jail. He probably knows everybody that's still in jail. Throw them in with Charlie and Chuck, and we'll be fine. Why do they call him Charlie and Chuck? So we know the difference between the two, right? Right? Throw them in there. We're going to find out how they really are. He's going to go talk to Clyde, and he's going to set them in there at night, and they're going to wake up next to Clyde wondering, why did, does he have all our head turbans? Or I don't know what it'll be, you know. But they're, they're going to be there for three days. And he binds Simeon right in front of them. Why does he bind Simeon right in front of them? Because that's probably what they did with Joseph. He was bound right in front of them, pleading, please, don't do this. I'm your brother. We can work something out. It is not that bad. I didn't mean what I said. Well, I meant what I said, but it, I could have said it more gently. Give me another chance. You don't know what you're doing. You'll never see me again. Do you want, what's this going to do to the Father? All these pleads. Until either thump him over the head and he can't speak anymore, or they gag him and he's carried away. They throw him into jail, and they let him sit there for three days. And I think this allows them to lose hope. How do you think? How do you think Joseph felt? And this is just a minor taste of what Joseph has gone through. You think about that three days, like Jesus on the cross for three days. I think. He gives us the shortest three days because you never know what Satan would have done if, if he would have had a whole 72 hours, right? But God changes that to about 52 hours. And so we have the shortest three-day period that we can have and still um, be back into his presence so Satan doesn't uh, get his way. That might even be less than 52. Probably be like 28-ish, somewhere in there. And they, so he lets them out. He says, this one's going to have to stay with me. And then we're going to begin our journey back. Right? He's going to send them back with grain and things. And he keeps that, he secretly puts their stuff back there. But you think about this, to begin their journey back. Not only back to the people, but back to the Lord. 
Why is this happening? Why is this? They, they are dealing with the sin of their brother Joseph. They, they've told this lie so many times over and over and over how this wild animal, they, they didn't know what happened. They just assumed they found his coat. It must be what happened. Dad still has his coat. Dad still hasn't been the same. How do you know that? I know that because it says in the scripture, Joseph or Jacob almost transforms when he sees Joseph. It almost kills him, I think, when he finds out he's alive. Um, so we look at this. We ask ourselves, what have these people learned? What have the people learned? What has Joseph learned? He's learned that he has not been forgotten. You remember, the brothers know and they know that the act of the betrayal that they did, he now knows that they thought and they think it was wrong. What they did to our brother was wrong. They know that. So what does Joseph do? He turns away and weeps. What do you think the Lord does when we sin against him? Is he like, oh, that's okay, you'll be all right? Is he full of grace like that and says, you'll get it next time? No, I think it breaks his heart every time. I think he turns away and weeps. He doesn't want to show his emotion to us. And he has to gear up sometimes to bring down the heat on us so that we know what we're doing is wrong. His heart is broken for his family, Joseph's is, and he, he could have revealed himself and come down on them. He could have had them thrown in prison forever. He could have had them killed because he has that power and authority and yet he shows mercy. He allows his heart to break over their sin. He is vulnerable, but listen to this. He is vulnerable behind boundaries. Okay, Where is he standing when he breaks down? He is behind his guards. He is, there's some place that he can turn, and so they can't see him. Okay, It's not turning his face away. He's turning so he can weep. So he's put up some boundaries there, so he is not showing weakness. Even though he's very strong, his brothers have broken him here. And he is also put up a boundary of language, right? They don't know that he knows what they're talking about, and yet he does. Once he regains his composure, he doesn't show his broken heart to his brothers. He doesn't say, oh, look, guys, it's me. He doesn't reveal himself right there. And let's see. And as a boundary now, he has put up, he later reveals his true self when they are restored. He waits till they're restored before he reveals his true self. That was kind of like the aha moment. Um, and they're all like, we're all gonna die. And he's like, no, no, God intended this for good, even though what you intended for evil, Right? God's made something. So he puts them to the test. He chooses Simeon, ties him up right before their eyes, reminding them of Joseph's story. And after all, 
this, Joseph decides to bless them with grain for their journey. He could have sent them back empty-handed, couldn't he have? Now you know what it feels like to go hungry. Now you know what you're, to not have a family. Now you know what you're, when your family's depending on you and you let them down. You, you're going to know that. He doesn't do that at all, does he? He doesn't get revenge. He shows them mercy. And he sends them back with the grain, with the payment in their sack. Why in the world would he do something like that? What do you think? Why would he leave that payment in the sack? Well, look at the symbolism there. Can we buy our redemption? We can't, can we? Because if we could buy our salvation, if we could buy what the Redeemer has to offer, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. There would be another way to get to heaven. There was only one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ, right? And so by him dying on the cross, it allows us to be refined and refreshed when we surrender to him. He gives us the payment right back. See that? Anything that we could, anything of this world that we could throw at God and say, let us into heaven, let us into heaven. I've done this, I've done this, I'll give you this, I'll do this, I'll give you all this. It doesn't work until you surrender and swear felty to the Lord. That's a big payment in itself too, right? The way is simple, but it's also narrow, isn't it? How many people choose to go to heaven out of this world? Not many, right? Narrow is the road. Broad is the road to destruction. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life with Jesus Christ. I chose the narrow road and it made all the difference, right? That's the the good poem there. So here's the beginning of the refining. The brothers were at the mercy of Joseph. He had every right to punish his brothers, yet he blesses them, which may be even a worse punishment because he gives the blessing, right? Think about this. Uh, the Bible says it this way. It says, if you to, were to bless somebody that's cursing you, you heap burning, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. Because they can't forget it. They don't know why this is going on. I can't understand why they would do something like this. It's so confusing. And ultimately, the brothers are at Joseph's mercy. Joseph would have been justified in bringing down the acts of judgment on his brothers. Joseph understood the concept of Matthew 5 Seven Matthew 5, 7 is part of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who, or the Lord blesses those who, which is in the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You ever try to keep score on that? God blesses those who are merciful because they are shown mercy. And you say, Lord, I've shown this person mercy and they don't show me mercy back. I've done this and this and this around the house and they don't do that. They don't do their part. Is that what that passage means? 
And you're like, well, probably not, since you seem to have that tone. <laughs> no, it isn't. That's not what it means at all. It means if we show mercy to our brothers at this level, God will show mercy to us at this level. Okay? How do you love God? By loving others, giving mercy to others. How do you love others? By loving God. And if you want to love God, you obey his commandments. One of his, his, well, I don't know what that word was. It's <laughs> going speaking in tongues there. Holy cow. Wow. One of his commandments is to show mercy to others. Right? God blesses those who are merciful for they'll be shown mercy. His brothers deserved a justified punishment. What they did was wrong. They did it out of the wrong motives of their heart, out of hate, out of jealousy. And Joe, well, he, he withholds his punishment. And he gives them grain. Otherwise, they would have earned it. Otherwise, they could have said, I deserve this. I deserve my self-righteousness and not Jesus, who Joseph is pointing to, right? He's an Old Testament figure that points to the New Testament figure of Jesus Christ. So he returns the payment. He gives them grain. He gives them payment. That, my friends, is mercy. When you get what you don't deserve, it's a real good thing. It's a newsboy song, right? When you don't get what you do deserve, maybe that's mercy. Yeah, when you don't get what you do deserve, that's mercy, right? Because they deserve punishment, but they got uh, that. The other ones, when you get what you don't deserve, that's grace, right? So if you ever wonder what that song was about, the newsboys, that's what it's about. So the worst sin that the... The worst sin is the sin that is forgotten by the sinner and left unforgiven before God. God's refining fire recreates us in his image through his mercy and grace. And sometimes that just doesn't make sense to us. Right? It just doesn't make sense, God's mercy and grace. It looks like punishment. It looks like times of trial. It looks like frustration and hopelessness. And is God refining you into his image to do his work and not your work? Sometimes that's hard to take, isn't it? Let me say that again. Matthew 42, 27 through 34 reads like this. But when they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey, found his money in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. And then their hearts sank, trembling. They said to each other, what has God done to us? That's probably the proper question, right? Even though God's hand wasn't directly involved, it was directly involved, right? It wasn't God's hands that put the money back in the sack, but it was God's wisdom that gave it to Joseph that put it, the money back in the sack. Make sense, right? So when the brothers came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him everything that had happened. The man who governed the land spoke to us very harshly. They told him, 
he accused us of being spies and scouting out the land, but we said we are honest men, not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. The brother is no longer with us, and the younger is at home with our father in the land of Canaan. When the man who is governor of the land told us, this is how I will find out if you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take grain for your starving families and go on home. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me, and then I will know you are honest men and not spies, and I will give you back your brother, and you may trade, trade freely in the land. Why does he want to see Benjamin? Why do you think he wants to see Benjamin? I don't know, but you got that tone in your voice again. I bet you know, right? He wants to see Benjamin because he wants to see how they're treating Benjamin. He wants to see that they are treating him to be just in a just way. They want to see if they're doing right by him, right? Which we find out later that he is. It's very interesting stories in 43. God's refining process. It starts with the loosening of his blessing. What did they have? They were in the land of Canaan. They had the land of milk and honey is what it was called and what it will be called again. They have everything they need according to God's glorious riches and God dries up the land. They are in a famine. This is the start of the loosening of this blessing that they have. It moves to us walking our own path right into trouble. Right? I can do this. I can handle this all by myself. I, am, I know what I can do. And we walk that right into ourselves. And one of the ways we avoid dealing with ourselves is that we look at the other party and the problem say, well, it's Joseph, if he wasn't so harsh with us, we wouldn't be, we'd have our confidence back. Yeah, yeah, and we'd be men. Yeah, but he was harsh. Dad, what are we going to do? Right? At least they run to their father, crying out loud. He's the original prophet, right? So then Joseph would be taking his place kind of in that, that way. So here's are some of the sins that the brothers need to work through that have been forgotten and that God is working on them. Forgotten sins in our path. Forgotten sins in our past, right? So we think of a good example is Judah and Tamar, right? Judah might, might be, be taking care of them. Uh, we always have the way they destroyed the village that they came to out and because they raped their sister, that could be a forgotten sin that they're like, oh, it's no big deal. God's still watching over us. He's actually provided more protection for us because everybody's scared of us. But there's also generations, generational sin. Thinking about their family. Look at Abraham. Look at Isaac. They both have recorded the exact same sin in lying to King Abimelech. It's the same sin. And now they're trying to do the same thing on um, when they 
destroyed that village. They're like, oh yeah, you just got to do this. And they come back in and, oh, just kidding, and kill them all, slaughter them all. Which leads to national sin. When you read that story, it says that nothing as hideous as what has been done to Dinah had ever been done in all of Israel, right? But does that justify their slaughtering of a village? I don't know. Maybe Old Testament-wise it could. But they don't take it to God. They don't ask God, is this what we're supposed to do? Is this the time that we're supposed to strike? How can we get out of this? No, they take matters in their own hands, and that is the major sin, right? So we have a generational sin, we have a national sin, and we have forgotten sin. Those are the three things they're kind of dealing with. I'm sure there's more than that, but those are the ones I came up with. And they are now dealt harshly and kindly. What do you mean by that? Well, they're dealt harshly. He yells at them. He accuses them of lying. He throws them in prison. He gives them grain, and he gives them back their money and sends them on their way. So harshly and kindly, how do we deal with this? What are we doing? It's a test, folks. It's a test. Anybody that walks you through the emotional highs and lows, they're testing you to see how much control they have. They're testing you to see how much control you want. It is a test. How do you think they're, re- they're reacting in their minds? We're not going to receive mercy. We're dead men. And yet they did after three days. We're terrified. There's money in our sacks. What are we going to do? We could all die for this. What has God done to us? Which is probably the first time they've asked that question in years. What has God done to us? God, has he got their attention? It's okay to this. Yes, yes, pastor. Okay. Maybe we need to stand up and stretch. and give me that last, last one, right? We could all die for this. We need to go talk to dad. He'll know what to do. So they go. What it comes down to is the people are willing to go to authority when things go sideways. When stuff hits the fan, right? When things go sideways, that's when people are generally willing to look to their authority. They look to their father. He looks to God. They see what's going on. When, peop- when they get a problem they can't handle, When things get tough, people say, well, the Lord doesn't give you, oh yes. So when things get tough, people, they generally say, well, the Lord doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Well, guess what? That's a straight up lie because God does give you things that you can't handle so that you will depend on him Okay, so a better way to say that truthfully is, well, the Lord doesn't give you anything you can't handle with his help. Or how about we say it even better than that, the Lord doesn't give you anything that he can't handle. Because ultimately, that's how we handle things, right? So it doesn't matter if things go sideways. Joseph found that out, right? I'm in Potiphar's house doing great, goes sideways, I'm in jail. Um, now I'm, now where I'm going to do, you know, I'm, I'm with my brothers, I'm at my father's house, all my brothers are going to bow down to me, things go sideways, now I'm a slave in Egypt, 
right? We must remember that our God is bigger than any problem. Maybe he has given you what he has today to refine you, to make you dependent on him, to, to surrender him before, surrender to God before it crushes you. Think of things like worry, anxiety, depression, and the like. I know many, many people in here deal with those things. And I've had more than one person say, well, you just can't say, go to Jesus and it fixes it. It just doesn't fix it all the time. Well, you're right. It doesn't fix it all the time. But I'd say like 90% of it. You ever worry? You ever... So anxiety is, this is my definition of anxiety, and it's probably different from clinical. So anxiety is when I worry on something over and over and over again, right? And now I got that knot in my stomach, and I got tension, and my back tightens up, and I don't know what I can do, and I'm and I'm sitting on here dwelling, how am I going to talk to this person or how am I going to get this relationship back right? You know how I work through that? I start talking my solutions out loud, like I'm talking to the Lord. And when I speak those things out loud, sometimes the problems, they're not as big as what I've built them up to be. Well, just go talk to them. Well, it can't be that simple. Well, yes, it is. When I mean, you talk to them in a humble manner. Sometimes it is that easy. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But that's usually is a communication problem. So I will say that worry, anxiety, depression will definitely decrease and sometimes are cured when we give those things to the Lord. And it's not giving those things, well, you're just going to have to deal with the Lord. Nope, that's it. Okay, God's got it now. Well, have you still followed your, maybe it's following your taxes and maybe they bring you a lot of anxiety and it's April 14th. Nope, God's got it. Well, have you like filled out the little 10-W-E-Z or anything, you know, the 1040-E-Z? No, no. Well, God's going to need a little bit of your input on this, right? You got to put the numbers in, right? Shoot, all you got to do is pretty much go to a tax place. They just, whoop, just throw those in there. Oh, I, no, I'm not. God's got this, right? Obedience requires some work on our half, right? Faith requires action, okay? Us Western thinkers, we have to, if you want to know that you have faith, you have to see it acted on. When we surrender to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are acting on our self, against our self-righteousness and saying, God, you've got this because I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do it your way. Let's do this together. I am going to have the courage to face my fears. I'm going to have the courage to work through my anxiety. I'm going to have the courage to get out of bed and serve somebody else to help me defeat this depression. And it's taking that baby step forward. The brothers are faced with the unknown. They have grain, they have the money, and if they want to go back, they have to take Benjamin back with them. There's no way their father is going to say yes to that. 
They said yes so they could get out of Egypt and never come back. Maybe the famine will get over. Maybe we will be able to make some grain stretch. Maybe we can do this. Benjamin is their father's pride and joy. He was born of his, of his favorite wife. He was born in the promised land. Of all the 12 brothers, he's the only one that's born in the promised land. And that comes back later on, and we see Benjamin almost be destroyed to Benjamin's arrogance, the house of Benjamin. How can they ask this of their father? This could nearly kill him. Friends, this is consequences of our sins. Our sins affect other people. The, the fact that they sold Joseph has already destroyed their, their father, and now this could kill him off because he wants the younger... This is it all over again. We're going to have to go through this again. There's no way dad's going to make this. But God's refining fire recreates us in his image through his mercy and grace. Let's finish off the chapter, the last four verses. It says in 35, As they emptied out their sacks, there in each man's sack was a bag of money he had paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified, for they saw the bags of money. Jacob exclaimed, You are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. And then Reuben said to his father, You may kill two of my sons if I do not bring Benjamin back to you. I will be responsible for him, and I will promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. My, My brother Joseph is dead. He is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. Does he trust Reuben? No, he does not. There's a, Reuben always tries to prove himself to Jacob. It's like, I can do this, Dad. I can do this if we just did it this way and you let me lead. But who is Reuben? That's that little voice in my head that I was always saying, I can get this, Lord. I can do it if you just let me go. I can, I can get to heaven all by myself. And maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's just getting past the next hump in the journey. But I, we can do this if we just do, you know, we can. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The only time, and it's in chapter 43, the first 18 verses. I almost read it, but I thought it'd be a little long today. Um, he allows Judah to take Benjamin back. And this is the first time you see Judah step up and be the man that he's supposed to be. The consequences of sin. Jacob state, if Benjamin goes down to Egypt, Ben will die. If Ben dies, I could die. I will die. That's where he's going. That's the, the rabbit hole he just walked down. How has Jacob, how has Jacob led his family thus far? He's done it out of reaction. Well, they took Dinah's going into town. Okay, we'll let Dinah go into town. Dinah's raped. Well, I told you not to go to town. You shouldn't have went by yourself. He's reacting to what she did. Instead of being proactive and say, one of your brothers needs to go with you. Right? Make sense? Okay, so then we go on. Um, you, 
what? You killed all those people? I can't believe you killed all those people. Now we're going to be a stench to our neighbors. Instead of, we can work this out with God's help. Let's turn to the Lord and see what he's going to do. Let's be proactive and go to him first, dependent on him. He doesn't tell his boys ever what they do is wrong. He always says it after the fact. He's reacting after the fact, always. And that's wrong. Instead of being reactive, we need to be proactive. We need to see, foresee what our boys, how do they act? How do our girls act? We need to send protection with Dinah. She can tend to be an open door rather than a window. Right? That's what it's defined as in Song of Solomon. She says that's at the end when she... She is talking to her lover about their relationship. She says, I was a window that was kept closed. And then I opened myself up to my lover, right? And I gave myself to him and to him alone. It says to watch out for those that are doors. Fathers, I think this is to us especially. Watch out to those who are doors because you need to shutter that house, right? Yay. Didn't know I was going to go to Song of Solomon this morning. Sheesh. Tell you what. The brothers, they are terrified of their lives. They're convinced God's judgment has come upon them, and they are in a tight spot. Right? Their, their dad had just made it worse. Ben is not going back. And they try to fix it themselves. Reuben says, hey, I will take care of it. I'll go do this, and I, I won't guarantee my life on it. But I'll guarantee my two sons. I, I, I always wonder if maybe that's where Jacob's like, that's the last straw. I get what you're saying there, but how about all three of your lives? He ne- Reuben never puts his life on the line. That's very interesting to me. They eventually try to buy their salvation by taking extra spices and things of the land to show the person in charge, a.k.a. Joseph, that they are innocent. Here's the money. Here's extra spices and things. We had no intention of taking this. We want to buy our salvation. What happens that time? Well, we'll see next, next time, right? I don't know if it'll be next week. I might incorporate it right into the VBS message, so we might be next week. But folks, we can't buy our salvation. When it comes down to you and I, we can't buy our salvation. And you look at Joseph's state. You look at his dad running like crazy. You look at his brothers in worry, anxiety. They're not sure what's going to happen. But in Joseph's place, to his dad, he's already dead. He doesn't have that relationship right now anymore. He will get it back. In his brother's eyes, he's a curse. We shouldn't have never come down here. This is the curse of Joseph coming right back. Sounds like a good Scooby-Doo episode right there. In God's eyes, he is the savior of the people of Israel. God has sent him before to rescue his people. And that's what God has done for his son. He sent his son down to earth before he comes back to destroy it 
Folks, we are in an age of grace. And if we do not choose his grace, we choose destruction by default. And if we choose destruction, that means we're going to hell. Out of our own choice. Not anybody else forced us to go there. We know the facts now. If you've ever come to White Rose more than twice, you know this. I'm pretty sure. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We find out why today. Right? God saves the known world through Joseph. The known world is saved through Joseph. Guess what? The known world is saved through Jesus Christ, just in a different way. Right? Because the worst sin is a sin that is forgotten by the sinner, left unforgiven before the God. Before God, God's refining fire recreates us in his image through his mercy and his grace. If God, Christian, if God is working on you, if you are working the process of sanctification, walking toward holiness, I would encourage you to look at your family line and ask the Lord, for forgiveness of those generational sins. Especially regarding witchcraft and uh, sexual immorality. Okay? Next, when it comes to um, habitual sins, put a stake in the ground, work through that, and then finally, unforgiven, unforgotten sins, Work those back up and work through them once and for all. Does that mean that you have to do that every single time? No, it's one and done. But remember that I've asked for forgiveness on those things and work through that, right? It is a done deal. Then God can work in your life. Then you can do, you can answer the question, what can I do to make it right? You'll know what to do to make it right, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for um, your forgiveness. We thank you for the example of Joseph and how much he looks like Jesus. Wow, that's just blown my mind away. We thank you that you are so loving, that you care about us, that you care about this neighborhood. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your hand of salvation on this neighborhood. And if you choose, Lord, we ask that you would choose to use White Rose to do it. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who cares. And we um, fully surrender to you. Lord, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you're sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and the specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love others, who make disciples, who make more disciples. Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.